One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always. So England have won their ODI Series 2-1 in Bangladesh. We'll ask how important that might be ahead of this year's World Cup, and we'll hear exclusively from both David Milan and Joss Butler. And England are back in T20 action for the first time since winning the World Cup last year, and we'll obviously look ahead to the start of the three games with Bangladesh this week. We'll hear from South African fast bowler Kahisa Rabada, who's called on his governing body to play more test cricket. Optimistic, that. And we'll ask what that means for the game. And we'll end the show by discussing the other big stories this week as Australia have qualified for the World Test Championship final, which, of course, is at the Oval in uh, early June. And we'll hear from former Ireland batter Kath Dalton, who's been reflecting on the importance of the brand-new Women's Premier League. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Harley, before England series, um, ODR series began against Bangladesh, I was trying to convince lots of people uh, that actually winning in Bangladesh would be quite an achievement, given that, uh, you know, it's actually been, it was 2016 the last time Bangladesh lost a bilateral series at home, and the last one they played was against India, and they beat them 2-1. So uh, there are a lot of sceptics still saying that, um, well, of course England are world champions, of course they should go to Bangladesh and win. But those conditions are extreme, and it took extremely good performance to win. It did take a good performance to win the series, even though we, obviously they lost the, the third game. No, I thought Bangladesh would be a, a hard nut to crack. I thought it would be a lot more competitive than it actually is. Fair play to England. I thought it played really well. Um, but I thought the true Bangladesh turned up. Maybe it's Bangladesh had a bit of stage fright in playing against England, and then especially in the first one. They weren't obviously seeing the highlights of that, and then England got a mammoth score in the second one. But the proper Bangladesh turned up in the, in the third one and made it more difficult for England to to win the series three 0 But I think all in all, I think you've got to be pleased with where 
England are at. I thought the exposure of Sam Curran up higher up the order um, was a good thing, even though it didn't it didn't really come off. But I wouldn't judge Sam on that innings because of the simple fact I didn't think the pitch was very good for for shot making, and I think there was some you know some positive signs. Joffre Archer got some game time under his belt. Riyad Ahmed got his ODI debut. You know, Milan and and Roy have kept Johnny Besto you know at arm's distance a little bit because everybody's claiming for Johnny Besto to come back. Um, but we're now what six games away from a World Cup. We're six months away from England's next ODI game. I think Josh Butler knew, knows who he wants to take to India. If the game that's India was tomorrow, I think he knows his squad. I think he knows what he wants. And I think the bilateral series is now. I'm not saying they don't mean anything. But they are just time together, try like sort of finalise game plans and hopefully get England ready for the World Cup. But I think if Joss Butler was given a chance to start the World Cup tomorrow, I think he'd be happy to do that now. There's lots of talk about um, the potential shootout between the likes of Sam Curran and Chris Wokes for the number seven, eight spot. But it seems to me that uh, moving Sam Curran up to number five in that third game was another exploration of the options to fill the Benjamin Stokes hole. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think England... I, and I've said this a couple of times to you, Manners. I don't think England win the World Cup without Ben Stokes. I really don't. I think his game management, his situation reading, his ability to intimidate opposition and others, I think that whole package gives that little bit, that half a percent more that I think England needs sometimes to get over the line. I think if Ben Stokes had been playing this in that third ODI and it was a World Cup game and Ben was at number five and number six, I think he would have gotten England to a position of strength and over, over the line. Um, it's a different animal when it comes to knockout cricket or tournament player. And I think you'd miss his all-round contributions too much by not having him around. So if they can get him, yes, great to have him around. The numbers, the current Wokes, I said in commentary during the the thirty old yeah, it's got to be number eight now. We I don't think we are solid enough from our, our top order, especially if Stokes isn't involved, that we can afford to go in with Wokes or Curran at seven. I think it has to be at number eight, and I think that makes our strength and depth a whole lot a whole lot more. Um, if Stokes doesn't play, then Livingston bats in in that slot, and the all rounder is a, a bits and pieces bowler. Um, with Livingston's batting. But Ben Stokes does go, well then England might have a decision to make because Moen Ali hasn't enjoyed a great time in 50-over cricket in recent times. He's not been fully at it. He complained about bowling in, in Australia. I understood that a little bit after coming off the back of the World Cup. But if you've got to try and find a place for Livingston uh, and he bowls in the, the Moen Ali, not that I'd contemplate leaving Mo and Ali out, but I think Livingston puts pressure on Mo and Ali to perform at that number seven slot if Ben Stokes goes to the World Cup. So I think that all that is in the, the melting pot and the conundrum, but the one thing I would say is that the Wokes current slash position, which because I think there's only room for one of them, I think that has to be number eight. That has to be a number eight with, in an ideal best 11, Archer, Robins, uh, Archer Rashid and Wood at 9, 10, 11. And I think that would make up a very, very strong bowling unit. Okay, let's remind ourselves of uh, the first ODI in which David Milan scored a very, very fine century. Um, and he thought so too. It's satisfying scoring 100 no matter what uh, level you play at. Um, but to score 100 in 
in conditions that were probably more bowler friendly, um, you know, is extremely satisfying. So I'd, I'd probably say that was up there with you know, whatever cricket I played, one of the better knocks that I've, I've had. Um, without sounding arrogant about it, like, and I don't, I don't mean to sound arrogant about it, but it was. Yeah, I felt like I was at, behind the game, and then I felt like I was in control for a bit, and then felt like I was behind it again, and then felt like control had just topsy turvy. So to not give it away um, and still be at the end was, you know, proud of that, the fact that I've managed to stay there at the end. David Milan with a brilliant hundred, which uh, he put a lot down to his experience playing in the Bangladesh Premier League. Now, are we being blinkered in thinking that David Milan and Joe Root are playing for one spot? I mean, are, are we? Are we thinking inside the box rather than outside the box? Is it possible that um, why, why can't Milan and Root play in the same team? I think they can play in the same team. I'm just not sure with what other options that are around in the game plan that England want, whether they can be in the same 15. Bear in mind, you've got one spare batsman. Do you want that spare batsman to, a, to be a David Milan or a Joe Root? Um, or would you rather have some extra firepower who covers a little bit more from all bases, which is would be would be Will Jacks. That would be the the interesting conundrum at this minute in time. You can't ignore what David Milan's done in ODI cricket. Uh, you just got to look at Jason Roy. He's knocked off a couple of centuries in ODI cricket recently. And the fact that we're going to India and how Johnny Besto is in the IPL and the intimidating factor he is at the top of the order in fifty-over cricket tells me Johnny has to play and has to play at the top of the order. All of a sudden, you you are looking down the road of, is it three from four? And it, it probably is three from four. So they could play in the same team. They could play and be in the same squad. But England have got an embarrassment of riches. And it, I think a lot of it comes down to who bats in the middle order. If Stokes, got, if Stokes plays, then Livingston is the spare batsman, stroke all-rounder, which means you probably take an extra bowler just in case one of the big lads get injured. If Stokes doesn't go, Livingston then plays, and then you have to look at your spare batsman from a squad point of view. And do you go with a Will Jacks who can bat in lower middle order who can belt it, or potentially could take the power play on and bat at number three? Or do you go with, with somebody who, like a, a Root or Milan, who you're going to pick one of them at number three, but is it a waste of the space having the other one in the squad? So I think that's the conundrum that the selectors have got. I can't believe they'd go in without Joe Root. I really don't. I think he has to go. But whether they can get them both in the same unit in, in India, that might be more of a difficult question. They could do, because they're both class players. But I think the other options that have got around and how their game plan goes, which is continuously being aggressive, there might only be room for them for one of them in the squad. OK, it was also quite a poignant moment with Adil Rashid presenting Rian Ahmed with his maiden ODI cap, wasn't it? Um, becoming England's youngest ODI player. So... Rian Ahmed, I mean, it's difficult to believe it was only a week ago that we were in Wellington and I was thinking on the fourth day, what England really need here when they were trying to bowl New Zealand out in the follow-on innings was was a leg spinner. But, I mean, he's obviously the future. He's incredibly exciting. So um, I don't know whether he, he makes the squad. But on the subject of spin as well, Jason Roy's 100, that's really interesting. So, I mean, is it a shoe in that Roy Bairstow are reunited again? And, and Ben Duckett, uh, where does that leave him? Because he's one of England's best players of off spin. Yeah, and it's it is it's a it's a great it's a great problem to have for the selectors. But you chuck twenty names up in the air, and fifteen have got to hit the deck, and fifteen are the ones that hit the deck. Is it 
is where you earn your money, Rob Keach. So it's it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one to to have. Duckett's got to come into the equation. Absolutely, Roy. I think that hundred is just. I'm not saying cemented his place in the World Cup squad, but I think it's just a timely reminder to the people that have been knocking him recently, and we've backed him. Yeah, you know, we've both said we both on this cricket collective have said he's got enough currency in the bank for me to to give him that extended run, and he goes and gets two hundreds in space of what five or six ODIs. So that, where the currency he's got in the bank, I think probably does get him. I think he's got at least one foot on the plane, possibly two, because he's getting a hundred in in Asia in them conditions. So, what's worked for England and been very successful for England at the top of the order, Root, uh, Besto and and Roy. I think if Johnny Besto comes back and hits the ground running from where he left off, which is a big ask because of the injury he's had, but if he does, then I can see Roy and Besto being England's two openers for the World Cup. Yeah, and finally, um, Resh. He did enough with the ball to show that he's still got it, but it was lovely. Oh. Sort of, it just it seemed to me as so his presentation of the cap was, "You're the future, son." Not yet, <laughs> not, not yet. yet, definitely not yet. I thought God got to come to to the the leg spinner. He was brilliant. I thought the young man did fantastic. The reality, but he struggled to get the length and the pace he was trying to bowl into that length. But the googly was there, showed for everybody to see that he's got skills. And he just needs developing. That's all he needs. The, the, the challenge for Riyad Ahmed is getting quality cricket, enough quality cricket, which gets him to develop. It's not always going to be with England. Yeah, some of it's going to be with Leicester. Some of it will be franchise. But it's getting enough quality to cricket for him to develop. And that's the most important thing. And he got a bit of exposure in a test match. Got a bit of exposure in, in ODIs now. Um, and I'm with you. I, I, I've said this. I said this a few weeks before we went to New Zealand. I would have took him to New Zealand for that very reason. In the last, on the in, in the second Test match, that if we play a flat one, we go in with the three similar seamers who are our best bowlers. We might need to think outside the box and have something different. And he, what what we would have give for an leg spinner to bowl at the middle order of New Zealand on day four. But that's just the the life life experience of this young man now. Um, is the most important thing. And you know, fingers crossed he will get that. But what we've seen from Adil Rashid, even though it was only five overs, and I must admit, I don't know where the other five overs went, Joss Butler, but he did show what a world-class bowler he was. The ball he got, the ball he bowled Mohamed with, it was an absolute peach. And do you know what? It did nothing. It didn't do anything. It just went straight through the middle of the gap of a player who's played a ridiculous amount of experience, international one-day cricket, set up the leg spinner the googly not having a clue how to pick him and he just bowled one straight through the gap straight through the middle and for me that sums Adil Rashid up in the last few years that smart cricket brand is thinking of the situation and executing his skill set just in that four or five balls of that over was just tells you that yes there's your cap son but you might have to watch me for a little bit more time yet <laughs> absolutely and from Bangladesh's point of view Mushfakir Rahim and Shakib Al-Hassan, amazing. They're still producing the goods, having played international cricket for about 25 years each now. Oh, that's what it feels like anyway. A reminder, you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of England's T20 series against Bangladesh here on TalkSport 2, with the first T20 getting underway on Thursday morning from 8.30am. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the one and only Steve Harmison. Right, time now to hear from England captain Joss Butler, 
who was speaking immediately after their 50-run defeat in the third game to Bangladesh. Here he is talking to our man in Chittagong, Will McPherson. Just a, a defeat today, but a, a good series win overall. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, an excellent series win. Um, you know, it's a difficult place to come and win, and we know how strong Bangladesh are in their own conditions. So, um, defeat today certainly doesn't take away, you know, what a great series win it is. Um, and I think we've probably had exactly the conditions we'd have liked to play in as well. We've um, had some uh, slower turning wickets, which has um, been a, a great sort of learning period for us and, and prove that we can play well in these conditions. Where, where was today's game lost and do you do you think that because you kind of experimented a little bit that kind of offsets the disappointment of, of the defeat slightly? Uh, maybe slightly yeah I think um, you know and, but uh, certainly believed we had a, a team that could win the, the game today and, and the sort of setup we we went with. Um, thought we bowled fantastically well kept them to a, a score um, below par um, but it was never going to be a completely straightforward chase so it, was, it wasn't so simple for batting but we got off to a brilliant start I thought that was a, a great opening partnership in, in that kind of run chase and, and losing those three wickets for I think it was one run was, was probably an area that sort of really set us back You chose to promote Sam Curran up to number five ahead of yourself today can you talk me through the thinking behind that? Yeah, I think um, you know, with Will Jacks having been injured, um, yeah, it gave another opportunity for someone to bat up, and, and I see huge potential in, in Sam's batting. Um, you know, I think we've got a number of really good all-rounders who who can um, you know, bat higher than than they do. Um, so, just felt like it was a great chance for Sam today to have an opportunity at number five and play a different role for the team. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, someone we we see developing into a you know. A, excellent um, batter alongside you know, even though he already is but you know, giving him more opportunities he, he was part of a very good bowling performance today and across the series I think you took 10 wickets in all three games that must be really pleasing in these conditions yeah absolutely I thought that our bowlers were all outstanding um, you know, Adil being player of the series so such a handful in these conditions and um, yeah we sort of really getting some really good options back together you know the luxury of having Joffre and Mark Wood bowling alongside each other is, is fantastic and um, you know, Wokes just continues to um, you know, perform and Sam Curran picking up early wickets in the power play so yeah lots of real positives from, from the bowling attack and you managed to get Ryan Ahmed into the 11 today as well and I suspect we might see him in T20s later this week because you've got quite a small squad how exciting is it to have him around the group yeah, it's great to have him around the group. You know, anytime you get such a young guy, um, he's got an infectious energy and excitement to to play. Um, he's a really confident boy and sort of has a lot of trust in his ability. And um, I'm sure, you know, over time we'll see him develop into such a fantastic cricketer. It's a strange quirk of your busy schedule that um, you haven't got an ODI until September now, six months off from that format, but a World Cup squad to pick in that time. Um, competition's pretty fierce, isn't it? It is absolutely, and you know, I think as, as tough as the selection will be, that's the, the kind of problems you want to have. Um, you know, we're really blessed with a lot of depth and, and talent in in the white ball game in England at the moment, and um, yeah, it's going to be tough to pick. And um, you know, I think that's a sign of good teams, isn't it? I say that a lot. When you know, sign of good teams is when good players are missing out as well. Just finally, you've got uh, three T20 starting later this week. I think your first since becoming world champions last year. You really looking forward to that series? Yeah, I think you know T20 is always a lot of fun to play, um, and, and again, it'll be great to actually maybe get similar kind of conditions. You know, it'd be great to challenge ourselves in in those conditions, and obviously playing um, you know in India that that 50 over World Cup, which is our next sort of ICC event. So um, yeah, the games we play here will be quite um, informative for for the. Um, 
sort of 50 over World Cup even though it's a different format and, and of course a um, number of English players will play in the IPL very shortly as well which is, is great for us sort of getting guys exposed to, to India and, and playing in those conditions um, ahead of the October and November. That was England captain Joss Butler rightly emphasising the importance um, and the merit of the series win rather than uh, the disappointment of the 50-run uh, defeat in, in the third game. Lots of interesting stuff there, Harmy. What did you take of it? Yeah, well, he talked about experience and the conditions. That was something that I think he was trying to emphasise off the back of a defeat um, and saying basically, well, we're still learning how to play in these these situations. He talked about selection on Ben and whether Ben would be around in October. I personally, on on a separate note with that, I think somebody's going to take this take the decision not away from Ben. I think somebody high up in the pay grade system has to have a a sit down with Ben Stokes and say only because. So I trust Ben Stokes to do whatever he feels is right for him because I know he's paying threshold and no way he can he can manage things. And I never have a problem. I can say what I feel, and I and and Ben knows it's coming from a good heart because of the, the sort of connection I have with them. But I say this after seeing him bat in Wellington. I've always been wary of the bowling side of it, but when it's affecting his batting, there's something seriously wrong. And can he go for another nine months playing cricket like that? I'm not so sure. So I think somebody might have to, not take it out of his hands, but might have to have that honest conversation with him to say, is it the right thing to go to the IPO? Is it surgery? Is it because... I still think if England want to win in the Ashes, if England want to win the World Cup, if England want to stand a chance to go into India and win in round of cricket, they're playing in test match cricket, key to the whole thing is Ben Stokes. And that is that is huge. I think Joss was he didn't he didn't say that, you know, a selection and then it was it was a throwaway comment and Ben I think I think it was a plea to Ben to say as much as we've got a lot of good players and we've got a lot of talent in our squad. We actually need the one man who hold, probably holds us all together in times of trouble. Not when things are going well, because I think we've got some very, very good champagne charlies when everything's going nicely, and the balance of the ball's going lovely, and we can hit the ball for sixes and fours. I'm talking about tricky situations when we're up against it, wicket's not going as, not, as, as according to plan, and we're backs against the wall. The man that's time and time again on big, big occasions has got us out of trouble. And I think he is... Ben, ben Stokes is cru- uh, crucial to that. So from that point of view, I got that. I think he was alluding to the fact that it's a 2020 game, these three matches, but I think he's still looking at trying to have a 50, the 50 over players playing in it to give them the best chance possible in the conditions that are that are there. So there might be guys who are playing, who, who would normally play in 2020 cricket, might not play in these three games because the, the players like to Milan, who is... Yeah, more suited to the, the 50 over game. Probably need some more time playing in these conditions. Harmy, if Ben Stokes listened to you talking now and he gave you a call and said, Harmy, I understand what you're saying, but there's half a dozen blokes who've worked their backsides off to get a chance to get into this England squad. Um, and I retired from ODI cricket and it would be fundamentally wrong and unfair of me to come back. What would you say to him? I'd say on... Your the way you look at the outlook of your team in Test match cricket, you say I will pick the best team for the next game, and that will be what I'd say to him, and I'd end the conversation like that, because I'd say, <laughs> because I would like to think that if he went down that road with Joss Butler, 
he would find himself with number five in the batting order or number six in the 50-over batting order every single time he becomes available. That would be the end of the conversation. And it, it doesn't need to elaborate any more than that. Then you you have worked to the theory that you have won 10 out of 12 test matches by picking the best team in front of you. And that's going away from home with the likes of Anderson playing when everybody said Jimmy was finished at Southern Hemisphere. That was no, you can't play Broad and Anderson in the same team in the Southern Hemisphere. Well, you went one better. You played Broad, Robinson and Anderson in the same team for two test matches because they were your best team. If Josh Butler says to you, I am picking you for the World Cup in India because you are part of my best 15, I think you'd be slightly hypocritical if you de- if you went no because somebody else deserves a go because you are one of our best 11 players. And that's what I would say to him. Well, let's hope he listens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so England have only got four specialist bat- batters um, for the for the T20s, basically. Uh, Butler, Duckett, Milan and Salt. Um, lots of all-rounders. How how do you feel about? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, Sam Curran was pushed out to number five in the third ODI. But how how do you feel about having lots of all rounders and them being flexible in the batting order? I mean, do you do you, uh, have you changed your view about having uh, a set top six specialist batsmen, or at least? I mean, they've only got four. I'd be worried if we didn't have players in critical roles, i.e. We've got somebody that goes in at the top who knows his job at the top. You know, Phil Salt, very aggressive batter up there, up there, along with, with Josh Butler in and around that sort of top four spot. Milan, arguably, you know, and he's been in the top, if everybody went again off, off world rankings, he was been in the top top five world rankings for them. So I think because of because of where they're bat, I think if we had I think if we had four specialist batsmen, they were all number fives or number fours. I'd be concerned, but because they're they're comfortable batting one to four or one four out of the top five, then you stick a you look at Sam Curran the way he's played in IPL batting at number three. You look at the way Moen Ali has played in the IPL batting at number three or number five. Then in that situation, England have got five. I think England have got five specialist batsmen because I think Moen Ali now, I think he's talking himself out of a bowling all rounding role. And he's a part-time bowler who bats. And that's it. In fifty-over cricket, he would. I think he would take that now. And I think in twenty-twenty cricket, you'd, 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 he would be comfortable going in at number three and bowling two overs in a match. I think that would be Moen's ideal role now. And I think he's going to do that in in the IPL when it comes around in in in, in a short space of time. So I think from that point of view, I think I'm going to fine with this this group where they're still experimenting with the likes of Duckett whether Curran bats at three or he bats at five in this situation, I'm not so sure. Will they, will they stay with Mo and Ali at number six? You know, they're, the, they're the conundrums. But there's enough in there, I think, to beat Bangladesh in T20 cricket. The important positions, the power play positions, I think England have got that covered. So because of that, I don't see that having a problem. If we didn't have a specialist opening batsman who goes in and attacks the power player, and we only had, like I said, four number four number fours or four number fives. That would be slightly concerning, but I think we've got enough power in there. And when you've got the likes of, you know, when you've got the likes of Butler in your team and Mo and Ali in the team, especially in twenty twenty cricket, I feel more I feel more comfortable than that, than that rather than having, you know, some of the some of the younger players. Alex Shields is a miss, but fully understand why he's not there. 
and wanted to. I think it's a good time to to give a few people a rest because these guys have played a hell of a lot of cricket. It would have the only disappointing disappointment out of this whole sort of the situation in Bangladesh is that we probably could have seen it. Will Jack's flying from did the flight we more or less did or did the flight you did manners back into sort of Asia and he's got injured off the back of. I think the time in the air and, and and everything like that because I think this was this was the series, yeah. These ODIs in this twenty twenty would have been the series for for Will Jacks really to stake a claim and showcase what sort what talent he's got because I think that boy has got serious skills. All the talk of the manic craziness of the international schedule and the irony is that England don't play another ODI for about six months and then they go into the World Cup. You can answer that question. Um, in the next part. Um, and you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the T20 series between Bangladesh and England here on TalkSport 2 with the first T20 starting this Thursday morning from 8.30am. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Next up, we'll hear from South African fast bowler Kahisa Rabada, who's asked for South Africa to play more test cricket in the future. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mathup, and former England fast bowler Steve Harbison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, just before we move on to South Africa against the West Indies, Harmi, uh, I mentioned it flippantly, but it is odd, isn't it, that England don't play another ODI for almost six months before the 
before the World Cup. They've got a couple, haven't they, against uh, New Zealand in September. I'm not sure um, how much conditions might resemble those in India. <laughs> yeah, you got them against New Zealand. I think India, uh, Ireland, sorry, Ireland come over for a little bit as well. So, yeah, you've just gone from 40 degrees heat, sweating like anything in Dhaka and Chittagong to freezing your rocks off in Bristol and Chester. Come to Chester Street, so it will be cold. No matter what time you come to Chester Street, it's going to be cold. So, and then go back to India. Yeah, look, I think when Josh Butler said in an interview that these three 320 games is chance to get exposure on this surfaces, I think he was alluding to the fact that the next time you play white ball cricket, it's going to be a different type of white ball game. Um, so this is our last chance before the World Cup. Okay, let's move on to South Africa against uh, the West Indies. Um, Shukri Conrad is the new test specialist coach of South Africa. He began his tenure with an 87-run win over the West Indies in the first test match at Centurion. All of the familiar cracks in South Africa's batting lineup were exposed once again, apart from the return of Aidan Markram to the top of the order. Uh, he made a fabulous 100, uh, and it is a hallmark of uh, Shukri Conrad's style uh, that uh, he he backs the players he knows and who've done the business in the past. And Markram had gone through a strange period drifting around in the middle order after losing form at the top of the order. Anyway, he said in familiar style, you are the best opening batsman in this country. You are going to go back to the top of the order and you will score runs. And he did. He scored 100. But the theme that emerged after that first test match was a familiar one. Let's start with Rabada. I guess that is one disappointing aspect, the fact that we're not playing as much test cricket as we'd like to. I, I, I see test cricket as the pinnacle of the game, and a lot of the, the players in the change room would see, if not all, would see that as well. I think it is a disappointing aspect, especially if you look at our team and the potential that we possess. Uh, the only way that we can get better is by playing as much test cricket as possible. I'd like to see a change in the, in the future. I mean, the next test match we play is Boxing Day. Um, and you look at all the other nations, they're playing a lot more test cricket. So I think it needs to be prioritized a bit more, uh, looking at the F2P and how, how little test cricket we're playing. If you look at our batters and also our young bowlers, you'd like them to mature in this format. It's just uh, really unfortunate. But whenever we do get the chance, though, it just means that we have to learn uh, pretty quickly. We have to play the cards that we've been dealt with. And his thoughts were echoed by former West Indies captain and all-rounder Jason Holder. The way world cricket is going now, um, apart from the big three, everybody else is barely playing any test cricket. We averaged probably last three years maybe six to eight test matches a year. This year I think we've got six, next year probably around six as well too. So look, it's, it's a slow grind. You know, you've got to be in the 11 for every single one to really give yourself a good chance to get in anywhere close to 100. Um, we've seen Craig Braffitt, for example, over the years, and he still hasn't gotten to 100. I think probably Craig was playing long before a guy like Joe Root, but Joe Root was probably gone like 120, 30-yard test. You know, it just shows the amount of cricket at England play in comparison to us. But it's beyond our control. we just got to um, deal with what's in front of us and you know, try to make the most of it. That was Jason Holder, and his thoughts were echoed by... Veteran fast bowler Kimar Roach. I think West Indies deserve some more test cricket. I think we do. We've been competing pretty well for the last two years. We've done pretty well in the test championship. The ICC can probably look at, you know, given some of the lower tier teams, some more test series. Um, two test matches a series is pretty tough. 
by the time you get a rhythm, yes, the series is over. So I think in three tests should be more acceptable. That was Kimar Roach finishing off a trio of uh, familiar thoughts. Anrich Norkia uh, also uh, said that he didn't think he'll reach 50 test caps. He's uh, one of the best bowlers in the world at the moment, but he, he doesn't think he'll reach 50 test caps. He's on 15 or 16 at the moment because South Africa plays so little test cricket. Harvey, I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of it, really. I, I You know, it's, you can't help being touched by the naivety of some of those players who don't seem to realise that um, it's not it's not the ICC's responsibility. It's the responsibility of the of the international boards and and cricket South Africa have been staring bankruptcy in the face for a couple of years now. They've put all their eggs into their own domestic T Twenty basket. They struggle to make money from Test cricket. They struggle not to lose money from Test cricket. And the answer, of course, is to have a, a more meaningful test championship in which all teams play each other rather than six out of the other nine. But, I mean, I, I spoke to, to Michael Atherton uh, a week ago during the Wellington Test match, and um, he said it's not going to happen now. There needs to be a will if there's to be a way, but uh, that horse is bolted now. Yeah, bolted. I think it bolted quite a while ago as well, to be honest, ma- honest matters in... I'm listening to the three comments and I'm thinking, yeah, you have all got a point. The only one I can really take seriously is Kimar Roach. Because Kimar Roach will only play test match cricket. And the other two, and and this is not a criticism against Jason or against Kadisa. If South Africa have a T T20- if South Africa have a test match in April, three test matches, or the West Indies have a test match in April, three test matches, Jason Holder and Kigisa Rapata won't play. It's a be with the IPL. So you can't have it. Unfortunately, you can't have it everywhere. So I, I, I applaud them. I really do. And I, I echo everything they say. But unfortunately, we don't live in a world where we've got t- time machines where we can just sort of port ourselves into and there you go, play them five days, pop out back to, back to India for a game in the IPL, which makes ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, the boards have got themselves in this position. I think it was others that said it, so I'm not going to pinch you know, uh, it for me. But you know, when he, I think he said that the boards were asleep at the wheel. You know, not, you know, not the ICC. It was the cricket boards that were asleep at the wheel. And he couldn't be any more right if, if he tried, is Michael Atherton, when he says that we've let this happen. We've been blasé of letting money dictate what's happening. And rightly so. Yeah, money makes the world go round. We're all individuals who want the best contract because we're trying to provide for their family. You've just got to look at the documentary that, I and mean, we're all golf fans. You've got to look at the, the documentary that golf has just had, and you watch them ep- eight episodes, and you see what, you know, the, the live golf has decimated the, what golf uh, has or had, and they were friends. A lot of them are friends. Now, IPL, did that do the same? No, I don't think it did the same. But it could be, it could be confused as it did all them years ago. But all them years ago, when it came around, it was, this is going to be great for the game. Best players playing with the best players for ridiculous amounts of money. But what that does is it has a knock-on effect and has consequences. And unfortunately, because we've been asleep at the wheel administrationally for so long that we are now in a position where we can't play test match cricket. Just They can't justify playing test match cricket all the time because, unfortunately, the best players in the world won't be playing. And then you have a knock-on effect with nobody coming through the gate. Then boards like without the big three, 
cost them far too much money. So I applaud Jason Holder, Gagisa Rabada for saying what they said. And they are right. But unfortunately, we do not have enough time in the world to play test matches, franchise cricket, and every other cricket around the world. So I applaud Kimar Roach more because he is his job is just test match cricket. He has got, got the luxury of going to these franchises tournaments and picking up ridiculous amounts of money for four overs. Kimar Roach comes back to Surrey, puts a brown hat on, and goes and bowls 30-odd overs in a week to try and get Gareth Batty to the top of the championship. His opinion, I value more because he's the one that plays. Yeah, predominantly just red ball cricket only. Former long-serving Cricket Australia Chief Executive James Sutherland put forward a proposal over 10 years ago, um, which was very simple, that 10 test-playing nations divide into two groups of five and they play a chess championship every year. Two test matches, home and away, alternating in each cycle uh, against uh, the other teams um, in, in their group and then a final. Um, and that would mean that uh, every nation could complete their test commitments in under two months. And it seemed it seemed perfect. But then, of course, you've got England and Australia saying, oh, sorry, does that mean we're going to play the Ashes over two tests? <laughs> and, you know, and, and everybody, every other nation, you know, apart from probably Sri Lanka and South Africa and Zimbabwe said, you, you've got to be you've got to be kidding. I mean, it is feasible logistically to fit in a test championship but it requires everybody to make sacrifices and frankly in Australia and England's defence I'm not so sure that the rest of the cricket playing world would want to see the ashes diminished No I don't think anybody wants to see the ashes diminished I don't think anybody wants to see the big three or big four or five not play against each other I think there is a, a solution I think it would take a brave man at the top of the ICC to get all the heads together and basically say, look, can we leave the ego outside? Not about who's got the biggest sort of pot of money or anything like that. Can we can we find a solution to make sure that we play test cricket relevant to the times that we live in to make it make it right for the world as a spectacle, be competitive and keep test cricket alive? Because at the minute, there's only really England, Australia and India who seem to warrant the bigger series is because of the attraction that they bring. For me, that's not the main reason. It's like saying it's like saying somebody that, that does a job for you and he doesn't do it properly, but you, you go, oh, he tries hard. It's like, well, that's not the point. He's, yeah, he's, he might be trying hard, but unfortunately, he's doing the wrong thing. This bit in time, people might be trying hard, but unfortunately, it's not the right thing that's happening for Test Match Cricket. If they want to save it, that's the big thing. It's a big if. Do we want to save Test Match Cricket? And I think there might be a few boards around the world who might have players coming out and saying, yes, we want to play more Test Match Cricket. But Peter and Paul aren't talking to each other because the administrators don't want to talk that about saving Test Cricket. And I've got a funny feeling where you're living at this minute, Manners, and one of the boards that don't want to play Test Match Cricket, but their players are saying, we want to play Test Match Cricket, probably because they're not played as many franchise tournaments around the world. So a player will be fickle. We all know that. If he's having a shocker, he wants to play as much cricket as he possibly can. If he's playing well and he's wanted by everybody, he will pick and choose the biggest contracts in the right way. That's the nature of the beast. But I think somebody has to get a hold of the game of cricket if you want to test scratch cricket to stay alive and say ego has to stay at the door. We have to get a solution. And if it's the big four or five 
opening their doors to the other smaller nations to try and help, then so be it. But I do sometimes live in a in the perfect world. I sometimes do live with my head in the clouds, and I do I do quite a lot, say stupid things, in trying to get England, Australia, and India to open their doors to the likes of Bangladesh, even the West Indies and Barbara, South Africa, whatever. I just don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. Well, the Ashes is the greatest contest in cricket. And, um, you know, I think that uh, they might say, both boards might say, well, actually, look at this year's contest. We squeezed five test matches into, you know, yeah. six, six and a half weeks. So we, we've compromised that. But I don't think that's in the interests of the rest of uh, the world's test cricket. I think that's in the interest of the hundred. Any, anyway. The players. Yeah, and but the, my my concern is that the big three do pay due attention to the importance of the World Test Championship, which is deeply imperfect. Um, you know, they only play six out of the other nine, and it's two test series and a three test series, and it's deeply imperfect. But I promise you, from a Sri Lankan perspective, from a South African perspective, from a West Indian perspective. Um, from from all of the maybe even a Pakistan perspective as well, but from the small seven perspective, the World Test Championship, as imperfect as it is, is the only thing that's going to keep Test cricket alive. It, it certainly is the case in South Africa. So uh, let's hope <laughs> that the World Test Championship survives, and let's hope that one of India, England, and Australia are always in it. Because that's one, one way to guarantee that it was yeah, That's one way to guarantee it, yeah. And we needed a World Test Championship final with of some note and some substance. And hopefully yeah. at the Oval this year, we get that between India and, and Australia. And Australia will take it seriously because it's a week before or two weeks before the Ashes. And hopefully India come over and bring their full guns and prepare rightly and not like they did against England when they came over that one Test match last summer and we get a, a proper contest because we get a proper contest in that we've got a chance of it drip feeding down oh i think india will take it very seriously i think they they definitely definitely want to win it i just hope that having won it if they do win it <laughs> they they don't lose interest okay you're listening to the cricket collective on talks for two with me neil manthorpe and two-time county championship winner steve harmison let's uh, turn our attention to the border gavaskar trophy australia beating India by nine wickets to win the third test and confirm their qualification for the World Test Championship final at the Oval in June. The, play <laughs> the playing surface, sorry for giggling, um, in indoor was rated by match referee Chris Broad as poor uh, in his official ICC report. Um, it may well have been poor, but it was extremely entertaining. Um, and, <laughs> I, and we try not to spend too much time talking about pitches, Harmy. But you have to say that uh, I think you were watching it at Wellington Airport or or was it Los Angeles Airport? But it was it was mesmerizing. I mean you know, it might my yes, it might have been poor, but it was fun. I just wondered if you put poor in capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh it was it was. I'm sitting there trying to nod off in Wellington Airport. I was waiting from like my second or third flight. I couldn't remember how many flights I went on on the way home. And I'm going, if this, is this day five, I've a, I've a missed four days off here. Has it rained for four days and we're, we're in day five? But Jara got one before lunch on day one. And I'm like, 
you know, if there was like the my gutting bubble, it just it literally went sideways, kept low, went sideways, and it's like, what on earth are these lot playing on? So you could you could argue you've can you imagine making your debut in that series? Or can you imagine all the stick that Pajara and Rahane got for for a lot of for a lot of years? Can you imagine if Pajara was on his last legs, thinking his career's going about to be over, all wanting some you know, Sirisire or Shuman Gill or somebody else, new younger model coming off the block, and that ends Pajara's career? You're going, what on earth are we playing on? Yes, it was poor. It was a it was a shocking pitch. But I thought if that was day five, yes, that's been an entertaining game because it's deteriorated so badly that we're going to get we're going to get a, a result out of the contest. But dear one of a test match, come on, it is it's ridiculous. And I just wonder what beach we're going to play on the fourth test match. You know, we say we've got a live and exclusive ball by ball on Talksport too. Oh, hang on to your hats. If we're going to get a pitch like that again, we might not be. You know, might only need two days to get this contest over. So. It, it is. It is what it is. You know. You look at. You come over and people have a go at England. Play on green seamless. Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad. Nobody really looks hard enough. I don't think at India because we are frightened of India. Supposedly, we have gone to India from an England cricket team point of view in the last series when we were during COVID and we were bunkered into you know the seventeenth floor of the, the news building and we were watching some average pitches then. And I've just watched an average pitching indoor, and it was not the first one of this series. So, from that point of view, is somebody going to be strong enough to say to India, you're, you're docked test championship points because of the surfaces? I don't think it will ever happen, but somebody's got a shot shouting at it because the pitches that India have played on in recent time. And look, I can't imagine for the likes of Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli, they're fancy getting off a plane, coming from one of the big cities, getting off a plane practicing, doing all the preparation to play a test match. I can't imagine Vera Coley really looking forward to playing on a surface like that. One of the best batsmen that we've ever seen. Why are we giving these fantastic players pitches like that? Manus Labashir and Steve Smith, Virat Coley in the same test match. Are we playing a pitch like that? That's just not good enough. It's a weird thing, having been involved in the game for all these years, to still have an open mind about pitch fixing. Um, but I think it uh, it comes down to uh, two things. The first is that India lost, so their strategy backfired spectacularly in indoor. Uh, and secondly, you know, um, I feel a bit uncomfortable about the like countries like England, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand turning over Asian teams on very green, grassy seamers, um, and, and you know, and then saying, "Well, you know, what's wrong with that? That's a perfectly normal pitch." So um, I know that it's extreme, but I just <laughs> I'd still have an open mind about it. Yeah, but that's dear one. Do you know, give the give them a contest, give the batters a contest. Like I said before, we've got some of the best players on in the. Actually, we've got probably two of the modern day greats in Smith and Coley batting. You know, give them a contest, have a first innings game, let the pitch deteriorate to that extent. Dear four, dear five. And let's see who wins from that. I'd go, I'd guess, and say India would win from that. I think if you ask Virat Kohli an honest question, the perfect pitch you would have, I think what he's just said in indoor would be completely the opposite to what he would say. He would say, give me a bit of, give me some true bounce, give me a bit of pace on the ball, give me a, a, a chance to play shots like I can play. And then if it spins later on, we'll show the men from the boys, we'll show the grits of the game because the grits of the game 
will be able to score runs on good pitch, you know, once the pitch has deteriorated. But when you give them a, a surface like that, for me, it's a lottery. And that backfired against India. It really did. It really backfired. It did, it did, in, it did in Aminabad when England were out there. When Joe Rudin got the best chance to bat on the pitch, he got big runs. India, India didn't stand a chance. First person to complain from that surface was Virat Kohli. And he was right to do so. And that, for me, is if you're a, if you're if you're a spectator from around the world, you want to see an even contest between bat and ball, and then you want to see the ball have a chance later on in the game. Unfortunately, that that pitching indoor just had nothing about it. Yeah, no, you're right. Okay, um, my mind is less open now. Uh, you've closed <laughs> you've cl- you've closed it for me. Um, you've been with me for too long this month, man. <laughs> Oh, we must turn our attention to the Women's Premier League. I've watched as much as I possibly can, and I, I honestly have been truly entertained. And I mean, I haven't been surprised by the quality of the cricket, obviously, because uh, it's the best players in the women's game. But it has um, been absorbing, ma- massively ab- absorbing. And, you know, the financial markets, the sponsorship markets told us before the tournament began, before the player auction began, that... Um, they speak from a purely practical financial point of view rather than uh, a fan's point of view. But it, it's lived up to expectations. I mean, yes, there were a couple of one-sided uh, results, but that was because two teams put 200 on the board mm. in, in the opening um, couple of games. And, you know, much like the, the women's 100, um, th- this has catapulted the women's game already. I mean, we, we were only four games in. But it's it's really really confirmed what we all hoped for. It is. It's been it is been really really good to watch. Watched the game today. Didn't see the end of it. I must admit. And I was watching that skipper Bronk, and she had a great open spell, and then she, you know, involved in in a run out. And the, the quality's fantastic. And they're feeling good pitches. That's why they're getting two hundreds. They're kicking the kicking Indian pitches again. But I, I enjoy watching. The women's game. I enjoyed watching the women in the hundred because they've got so much sort of skill level and talent and technique. That's the thing I like about it. You will see some of the girls play better technical better shots technically than ninety five percent of the men because when men decide to go down brute force, their techniques go out the window. Jimmy Anderson's got nearly seven hundred Test match wickets, and he's got half them after the age of thirty because the invention of 2020 white ball cricket, people want to whack it out of the park. Their techniques are rubbish. Where you watch you watch the girls play, you watch the women play, and they play some play proper cricket shots. Technically, they're very, very good. Skill levels of the ball, very, very good. And that, for me, is getting better and better, and that's why it's very, very entertaining. You'll get a lot more closer games. And I think once the in this competition, I think once they get used to playing at this level, then I think you'll get a lot more closer, closer contests. And honestly, we've we've I've said many many times. I dread to think where the men's game is going to be in five years' time. I can't wait to see where the women's game is going to be in five years' time because I think the skill level will be very, will be ridiculous. It will be because they're getting better and better technically. I think because of that, then I think the women's game will be in a far better place in five years' time. Not sure I'll say that the same about the men's game. Okay, well, former Ireland batter Kath Dalton was part of our commentary team um, for yesterday's third ODI between Bangladesh and England. Um, and she was telling Jared Kimber 
um, in the lunch break how important this new competition is for the women's game. I think everyone said it, and rightly so. It's huge. It's probably the biggest thing to happen in women's cricket. It'd probably be the thing that changes the tide of women's cricket going forward. There will be parents now of young girls in India looking at the, the money, let's be honest, and seeing that there's a career now in the women's game. And that is just going to push talent in, not only in India, but also, I think, globally around the world. Um, starting to see some of the girls at grassroots level, some of them I'm coaching as well, they're starting to know the players' names. If you go back 10, 15 years, they didn't know anyone. Didn't even really know that England had a side. I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't even know England women had a team. So this investment in money, it's not just in the product, because I think the product will get better as it goes on, but it's an investment in exposure for the women's game. I remember when Meg Lanning came through and I interviewed her and and I asked who her hero was. I was pretty sure it was Ricky Ponting just by the way she batted, but I wanted to check and she was like, yeah, Ponting was always my hero coming up. And you think now you have Meg Lenning as a hero and it starts in Australia, then she plays in the 100, now, you know, in World Cups and now it's, uh, you know, Whipple. Um, so it's moving kind of everywhere. I, I think that's a huge move forward. But we, we focus on the players. You forget that it, this is going to help writers, broadcasters, coaches, analysts. There's, I would say, weirdly enough, that coaches and analysts is probably the one space that women have had the least success in, um, in, in cricket. So I don't, you know, and there's lots of different things. The same with coaching. We, we have, you know, major women, uh, women coaches in American professional sports and in cricket. We don't even have that at all. And I thought also the umpires is the other one that's quite interesting because the last couple of years have made this huge move towards women umpires. And in the World Cup, they suddenly said everyone, everyone involved is going to be a woman. And I was like, well, you haven't allowed these women to have any experience. And suddenly they all have to do it on their own. Luckily, it went fine, and I don't think anyone had a problem with that. But it's not just about players. It's really about creating a whole new industry, and all the people involved in it are going to get other people involved. Yeah, I have a mad story on this, actually. Uh, in 2016, I just played the World Cup uh, for Ireland, and that was out in India, and I got invited out to Rajasthan Cricket Association with Lalit Modi at the time was running the show and uh, I was the first female coach to coach an Indian professional cricket team side so that was crazy got named in court would you believe so you're absolutely right there's not a huge amount of female coaches in those systems with that kind of exposure I think I saw Lisa Kitely who was the England women's head coach out at the SA20 I think that's the first time that's probably happened. Yeah, she was, I'm trying to think. She had the, the most bizarre coaching title. Do you remember? I can't remember what it was, but she did it. Belinda Clark was essentially, uh, he, she did the Rob Key slash Andrew Strauss role in Australia. But it was kind of, it wasn't quite as much power involved, but academy-wise it was very big. So it's not that we haven't had any women involved in cricket, but nowhere near the levels that is happening now. And, and this just opens up everything. I was actually surprised to, you know, that uh, Ravi Shastri and Harsha Bogle were on the commentary just because I thought they might have an all-women uh, commentary panel because they've had a lot of women just for the IPL over the years. But it's, it's also kind of cool that the big guys are coming back out for, for that tournament as well. I, I, it's a big difference from the, the old days when you'd listen to a Women's World Cup and you wouldn't know who the commentators were because they were, they were so not well-known. Yeah, and that's back to the exposure, isn't it? If, if they're involved in it, it feels like a, quite a big deal. And I, and I was looking at the coach head coaching roles of who got them 
And Did you apply all, for those too? No, not just yet. Hopefully one day, you never know. But um, yeah, they had all had very good international experience behind them. So Charlotte Edwards is someone who I think has done a, the hard yards within coaching. She's not just come out of playing, which we sometimes see in the men's game, straight into a coaching role. She's done the hard yards and coached at regional level and upwards. Um, John Batty, the former Surrey player, he's... I forget which franchise he's coach of, but he's out there. Yeah, yeah, Oval Invincibles. Uh, he was yeah, Oval Invincibles here, but I'm trying to remember who he, which franchise he's with in the, in the uh, WPL. I did. His team played yesterday. I can't remember if it was Gujarat or one of the others, but there's certainly some England coaches of, uh, over there. And again, not something you particularly see in the men's cricket, the England coaches going over. That's very true. Yeah, so there's, there's a push for that, isn't there? And also on the playing side, it was great to see Tara Norris, uh, coming from, I know she played a lot of cricket in England, but an associate player doing so well in. She's the US player. US player, yes. She's the left arm seamer. Left arm seamer, taking five for first five for in. A At one stage, she had what four for five or something. It was ridiculous. I was looking at her figures, and it didn't matter which direction you looked at. Her figures were incredible. Yeah, so it's giving her that kind of platform to perform and. You will now see women going around the world just playing franchise cricket like we do in men's cricket. We see that where they don't really play internationals and they just go around and play in these big tournaments. And we'll start to see that now in the women's game. It truly is a game changer, big time. Now, uh, just before we close, uh, Harmony, I just want to remind all our listeners that uh, we don't avoid the hard topics. um, And I just want to tell everybody that we haven't spoken yet about uh, the Yorkshire Azim Rafiq ECB Michael Vaughan story and the hearings currently taking place because they are currently taking place and uh, we wouldn't want to cast judgment um, or offer an opinion um, until that process is complete but um, of course we are monitoring it as we monitor all stories. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me Neil Manthorpe and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison and if you missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, as always, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to look back at the T20 series between Bangladesh and England. But for now, from me and Harmi, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.